Hey, it's your host, Brittany, and welcome to the Mom Sweat Sanity Podcast, where we talk all things life, health, fitness, kids, relationships, you name it, nothing is off the table. A little bit of just me and a whole lot of knowledgeable guests. So throw on your Lulus to run or to mom, grab yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, and join us as we unpack life's pressing topics and learn a little bit more of the who, what, whys of it all. Or at the very least, get real, share some wisdom, and grab practical tips to help in our daily lives. Hey everyone, welcome. Today I have Jenna Gleason joining me, a clinical counselor for child and youth mental health. What better time for this to be happening as we are experiencing COVID as a whole in our world right now? She is here to offer some tools and tactics to help to code anxiety in your child through times of stress and how you can help them through it. I left this conversation with a few aha moments of my own, and I hope you do too. Hi, Jenna. Thank you so much for coming on today. And I can't wait to get into our conversation. I am going to let you take it away. If you're able to give us and our listeners a little bit of an overview on who you are and what you do. Hey, Brett. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'm a mom of two little people, Liam and Michaela, both Liam's three and a half and Michaela's one and a half. And I am also a clinical counselor for child and youth mental health, which means I do counseling for children and youth and families. I was in North Van and now I'm working in Squamish where we live. That's kind of what we're probably going to focus on today. But other than that, I do a lot of triathlon and trail running. So those are kind of like passions outside of being a mom and a counselor. And the perfect activities for Squamish and your back door. Yes, for sure. Yeah, that's why we live here. So it's good. So amazing. So what got you into wanting to go down the field of clinical counseling? I wanted to be a counselor always, probably. My dad died when I was really young, around eight years old. And so I did some counseling when I was eight, I guess, a little bit, and then more as a teenager. And I think that my counselor who I had as a teenager was a really big mentor for me, just in terms of making me feel better, but also just being inspirational to me. So I always knew I wanted to do what she did. And I think then as I went to school to become a counselor, focusing for child and youth just kind of happened naturally that that was something that really interested me and kind of was a passion. So that's how it kind of navigated into that specialty in particular. Oh, that's amazing. It's so interesting how impressionable we are as kids and how early on you had that, that feeling that that was something that you knew you wanted to do. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't think I ever really entertained another idea of what I would do. So yeah, it is, it's, it's neat that that happens sometimes. Awesome. Maybe we'll delve into it then because uh, you kind of had the leeway with the kids and everything. And I thought that maybe we could jump into childhood anxiety and stresses on children. And maybe even if you have seen anything rise in that since the start of COVID-19. Working with children and youth, anxiety is always one of the leading things that we're supporting children with. You know, there's no statistics really out there yet regarding a rise in anxiety as a result of COVID. However, there is literature coming out that's saying that 
findings are showing that COVID is greatly impacting the well-being of families and that stress levels in families have increased. When that happens, we naturally see stress levels and anxiety increase in child and youth. And so we know that it's happening. One of the big things around childhood anxiety is kind of this inability to tolerate uncertainty, which for all of us is what COVID has put on our plate is there's so much uncertainty from day to day of what we're going to be able to do or when we'll be able to travel again or if restaurants are going to shut down again or schools. So I think for children who have a propensity to have trouble navigating, tolerating uncertainty, COVID just like, is that on steroids? So definitely it is happening and children are struggling. And as an adult, so many of us are struggling with this and the uncertainties of it all. So I can only imagine the little brains of people that have the trouble to process this. Are there different ways that you are helping them cope through this or different ways that are strategies, I should say, that are great for kids to identify and move forward through these hard times, not necessarily just through COVID, but just in anxiety. Yeah. Well, I think you bring up a few good points, which is that as adults and as parents, we're struggling and feel anxious. And when parents' anxiety goes up, children's anxiety goes up. So what we often see is if parents are struggling, children are going to struggle more. So that's hard as parents is not to like put the responsibility on parents because obviously people have lost their jobs or, you know, can't connect with family and all of the things that this season has brought. Uh, but definitely if parents are struggling with anxiety and then this is really increasing their anxiety, kids are going to react and respond to that. So even if they weren't presenting with anxiety before, they might be reacting to parents' anxiety and kind of showing some of that. Mm-hmm. Are there different signals that you generally see in children? Mm-hmm. Are there different signs that like as a mother for myself that I could watch for in my kids? Like, or are all kids so different in how they demonstrate? Yeah, no, for sure. So anxiety in everyone causes the fight, flight, or freeze response. So that's an adaptive response that kind of comes from when we were more primal in our beings as humans, where if you're walking along the path and you see a bear, you're either going to fight the bear, run away, or freeze. So this is an adaptive response. What happens when you're not faced with a bear, but you're just faced with negative thoughts or worries about COVID is that it looks a little different. So for children, well, for, for all people, but for children and youth, A couple of things that would be like, oh, maybe my kid is struggling would be avoidance. So the number one thing that we see or behavior that we see with anxiety is avoidance. So avoidance to go to school or to activities. This has been compounded with COVID because kids couldn't go to school and couldn't go to activities. And now we're slowly reintroducing those things and they're different. And so for most kids, this has been a really hard change, but for those kids who have anxiety, it's been even harder. So a lot of school refusal, a lot of not wanting to do activities that they used to do, 
And it's kind of hard as a parent to navigate, well, how much of that is kind of normal in this season of COVID and how much of that would be concerning. And so I think it's also just recognizing in your family what you're comfortable with. And if your kid is actually refusing something that as a family you're comfortable with, or if that's kind of like, no, we're not doing those activities because of COVID. So it's a, it's a hard time in the sense that not every family is as comfortable doing the same things. Absolutely. As things slowly roll out, but avoidance would be a big one. Another is that fight response. So with anxiety, we see exaggerated responses that might not be in line with the actual circumstance. So what that might look like is a young child, mom wanting to take them into the grocery store to pick something up and having this exaggerated fear response of going into the grocery store where you didn't see that before. And being like really tantrum or it could be depending on age, it could be a tantrum, it could be mm-hmm. refusal, it could be, but just kind of this exaggerated response where you're kind of like, whoa, right? Now, depending on age, like obviously I have a toddler son, like he has exaggerated responses all the time. So it's just navigating like, is this something he responds to going into the store every time? Then I would start to think anxiety right? Yeah. Versus just like, oh, he's tired and he wants a toy. (laughs) He's, you know, he's tired and he just wants to go home and I'm saying we have to go to the grocery store and he doesn't want to go. Like, but then the next day when he's not tired, he has no problem. Okay. So you can kind of, if it's about that same thing, then you can kind of go, oh, maybe there's some anxiety here. Like there's this exaggerated response about going into stores or there's an exaggerated response about something else, maybe about being left alone with a babysitter where it's like this huge tantrum. So that's another way that we can kind of see anxiety Mm -hmm. and then kind of the body signals. So Lots of little kids will talk about feeling sick before they go to school sometimes or being separated from parents or cry. So these body signals are also ways that you can kind of recognize that maybe a child's struggling with anxiety. And are those kind of more the freeze sides of things that you're referring to? The body part? Yeah, yeah. No, it's just in general. So in general, there's like a whole host of ways that people's bodies will respond. But for for children and youth, some of the most common ones we see are like having an upset stomach or kind of butterflies, heart racing, crying, feeling dizzy, like any somatic presentation where they're not wanting to do something or they're saying that they're feeling this way. You know, maybe they've started a new dance class and they say every time as you're driving there, oh, I'm not feeling well. I don't know if I want to go. And low levels anxiety, they might be able to go and then you pick them up and you're like, oh, how are you feeling? Oh, fine. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, More high levels anxiety than that would look kind of like the freeze, the avoidance, not wanting to go. I don't feel good enough. I'm going to throw up. I don't want to go in there. So anxiety is on that range, right? Like of kind of low level anxiety and higher anxiety. So within that range, the somatic or body signals would present differently, but often kids will have body responses to anxiety. 
And the younger they are, those are the things that they notice most, or as a parent, you would notice because they can't articulate what they're thinking. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Those all make sense when you sit down and are able to kind of think through that. But when you're in it, sometimes it's hard to, you know, break down the child into Mm -hmm. those categories and really understand it. So when you're able to identify that in your child, what would you suggest as a proper step forward for the parents to, you know, to begin helping their child? I think one of the big things in terms of supporting is kind of identifying what's going on for parents kind of like reading up on anxiety, what it looks like, what it could be. You know, one of the ways that I really like for supporting just as like a good mental health tool for all families is just daily check-in. So for our family, we do highs and lows at dinner time. So what was the high from the day and what was the low? One of the important things to remember is as parents that it has to be authentic. Like it can't be like a soft high and low, like it has to be a real high and low. It's not just about getting your kids to do it. It's modeling how to actually do it. So it's from real things that happened in your day and specific, like we want our kids to be specific too, because most parents have the kids that you get, pick them up from school. How was school? Good. Okay. Yes. Yes. And you're like, what was good? So the highs and the lows always like whoever, whatever child starts, get to pick who goes first. And then person you go around or they get to pick who goes next and everyone shares their highs and lows. And I, and it's pretty most children and youth are pretty good at it if they feel like everyone's kind of being authentic and honest and you get more information. I love that. Yeah. So also one of the reasons that I say highs and lows is because that way, if there's a low that comes up, you can kind of sit in that and talk about that a little bit more instead of going with what the low was in the high and then having a harder time circling back to like talking about the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. For little kids, some of the check-ins that I like to do as families kind of weather report. So like how are they feeling sunny or rainy inside? And that's another way for like ones that are under five to kind of explain what's going on. Mm-hmm. But Liam's three and a half and he does highs and lows really well. So awesome. I think that that's a really simple one that works like across the ages. Then the next step would kind of be like, if you know that it's looking like anxiety in your child, like identifying worried thoughts. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of different anxiety disorders in a clinical sense, but most common, we're going to see kind of generalized worried thoughts. Like what if this happens? What if that happens? So talking about those thoughts as a parent talking about your own, what if thoughts, What if there is like all this civil unrest? What if we're never allowed to go back to the U.S.? So it's not necessarily a negative for us parents to be showing them that we have concern too, because that then allows our children to feel vulnerable and open up their doors to discussions. Yeah, for sure. You, I think one of the key points in terms of like, how can you support a child with anxiety is to model. So you want to model 
the highs and lows. You want to model your own anxious thoughts. So they go, oh, this is normal. Because we're kind of, by doing that, you're normalizing that everybody has anxiety. Everybody has anxiety. If you have an anxiety disorder or you don't, it's just a level of how you're coping with your anxiety. So it's normalizing that like, yeah, of course, like I have these anxious thoughts today so that they feel more comfortable also thinking about their anxiety and talking about it and sharing it with you. Not feeling different or weird or scared or, yeah. yeah. You know, most children and teenagers, like their greatest fear is being different than anybody. So when they sense that they might be struggling with something that their friend and doesn't, they're going to like really feel horrible about that and not want to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So talking about worried thoughts would be one way. And then, you know, starting to also share as a parent how you cope with those worried thoughts. So it, you know, we call it like challenging negative thoughts. As adults, it might be more like whatever, what are positive mantras? Well, I can use an example, but do any of your children ever have worried thoughts? Absolutely. Definitely. Um, One and then I can use as an example. If not, I can come up with one. Well, just last year going through, you know, anxiety with my husband and then Mm -hmm. um, it definitely was coming through on one of one of our daughters and just how the concern of who's who's going to be taking care of her and who's in charge just the dynamics were shifting as she saw someone that is usually so strong in so much need of help and support. Yeah. So for example, if I was to like use that as an example, what if my dad's not able to take care of me tomorrow? What would I do? So what can happen is we get children and adults, but get caught in this like, in thinking traps. So maybe my dad will never be able to take care of me again, or maybe he'll never be able to do some of these things with me again that he used to like. And so it's kind of this really black and white or negative thinking. So there's some thinking traps that most people with anxiety get trapped in. And so it's starting to challenge that. And so what challenging negative thoughts would look like would be like, okay, there's the worried thought. Like, what if my dad can't do this thing with me ever again. But okay, daddy's going to counseling. My mom can do those things with me. We can't do that anyways, because it's COVID. (laughs) So it's like kind of balancing the negative thought instead of just sticking in that thought. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's helping a child kind of, I call it with little ones, detective thinking. And then with youth, we're kind of just like challenging the negative thoughts or creating a more balanced thought. That, well, you know, that's probably not the way that it's going to be because of all these things. So it's kind of like making a chart of, okay, this is the way that my brain is focusing on, but here's some other options. I love that. So there's more than just a black or a white. You're able to Mm -hmm. fill in some other scenarios so that they're not so concerned on that one strong point. Yeah, because the anxious mind gets really, really good at focusing on the negatives, focusing on what they think is going to happen is truth. And so it's balancing it out that, well, actually there's all these other possibilities 
that your mind's not focusing on. So we want them to get good at making the connection of like challenging that negative thought. And we do this as adults anyways, right? Like with positive mantras or positive statements that we tell ourselves or some adults do. And so there's ways that we are already coping and it's kind of just teaching children how to do that. I Um, love that. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to like decode what we do almost on a, on a daily to, mm -hmm. to bring it into a better tangible thought for our kids when they're younger. Mm -hmm. Wow. And when they're younger, it is about like, you know, when they're really young, it's about writing these things down. So they also see a visual. There's an app that I'm going to talk about in a little bit that also for kind of like, I'd say tweens and teens is really good because you can do all of this that I'm talking about on the app and it kind of walks them through all of it. So it's really easy. The app that I really like for tweens and teens is called MindShift and it's free. And everything that I'm talking about in terms of how to help children and youth cope is, is on there. So all these principles, I guess, or tools are cognitive behavioral therapy, I guess, in in general. And so it's a cognitive behavioral therapy app. And it's all really simple, right? Like it's not groundbreaking things. It's not like, oh, but it's a way of helping people organize their thoughts and giving them tools that maybe they're not doing. Mind shift. Mind Mind shift. shift. Wow. Okay. So it's just in the app store. It's free. You can just download it. And it's really awesome. It goes through all of these things and it's really easy to use. Like obviously for younger kids, if they don't have a phone, it's probably easier using um, computer resources with a parent because the app is kind of developed for kind of, I'd say like 11 and up because you have to be able to read. But they could also, like for younger kids, you could use it as a parent, as reminders or inspiration for how to do some of these things with a younger kid. That's so great that there's something like that out there for that age range though. Yeah, it's awesome. Like I use it all the time with clients. Wow, amazing. So that's a good like toolbox item for that age range. Yes, for sure. Like one of the number ones. So it has like all those things like, challenging negative thoughts, learning about thinking traps, using all these skills is all on there. I think like in my experience growing up and coming through different sides of mental health, it's something that this younger generation, probably from around us younger, is less shameful about, if that makes sense. I feel like mm-hmm. our our parents and older generation was something that talking about mental health had such a negative stigma and it wasn't something that was so commonplace. And being mm-hmm. able to speak to our kids from a young age to make them aware that it is something that everyone deals with at some point in their life and sometimes on a daily basis. If it's something that we're all able to come together on, I think the younger, the better. Yeah, no, I definitely think that there's a shift. I think there has to, I think there needs to be continued shift, but you know, kids are learning from a young age at school about the zones of regulation. So these things are being taught more at school as well. And then, yeah, I think that there's more of a conversation and we're moving, there's less stigma than maybe there was about talking about mental health. I still think there's a great deal of stigma attached to mental health, but there's less. 
so there's an opening for conversations. And I think that's one of the biggest things. Like if parents can find the confidence to talk about their own mental health and even when they're struggling, model how they're going through that, it allows children to be in that and to go, oh, my parents might struggle with this, but they're also trying to cope with it. And this is how they're doing that because modeling is the biggest thing. Absolutely. Uh, Your children are watching how you're doing things. And it's not to put pressure on that you have to do it well. I think that children also learn a great deal from seeing parents struggle in something and deal with it. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah. We're not perfect. There, what, you know, what is perfect? There's no such thing yeah. to allow our kids. That is an amazing tool also. For sure. Like the more, if we're only allowing our kids to see as perfect, then that sets a really unrealistic expectation for them and pressure on themselves, like not just pressure on ourselves to be perfect, but it, it creates pressure in them to think that that's like what has to happen. Mm. So them knowing that there's struggles, right? Like obviously appropriate. We're not going to tell them everything or put the burden of like, oh, we have no money left or, you know, all the, you know, within reason, obviously of what's like appropriate to share with children at what age, but to let them see some of that is necessary Mm -hmm. to their own mental health. For sure. Well, I don't want to keep you too long. So do you have any other last tidbits that you can share with us or? Yeah, all I'd say, so I shared MindShift. I'd also, I think the Anxiety Canada website. So it's anxietycanada.com is a really great resource. And the Kelty Mental Health Foundation has a really great website. So it's keltymentalhealth.ca. Both of those online platforms have so much information about anxiety and cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, The Anxiety Canada website has a lot of information on how COVID is impacting anxiety for families and children and youth specifically. So that's also really interesting. And all of the kind of tools. So You know, we talked a little bit about the thinking tools, but also kind of calming down tools like breathing and visualizations. All these resources have more information about that. So there's a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy that you can do as a parent with your child just using these resources. Amazing. That is so good. One thing that I wanted to mention in terms of like resources is you know, obviously I said that anxiety is on a continuum. So there's kind of like, oh, my kid might be struggling. And then there's like, my kid can't function struggling. Like they're not going to school. They're not getting out of bed. I can't get them to do anything. Their fear is so great that it's kind of beyond parent resources. So in BC, there's child and youth mental health counseling services, which is free through MCFD, the Ministry of Child and Family Development. And then there's also like for private counseling, counselingbc.com that lists a whole bunch of private clinicians and you can sort through where you live and what you're looking for in terms of specialty and it'll pull up people that you can connect with. 
That's awesome. Yeah. As it, much as we can do what I think our as a parent, like one of our biggest chores is to be able to help identify and then be able to recognize when they need more help than that. Yeah. Cause you know, some of this a parent can do and help support. And then sometimes it gets bigger than being able to manage it at home on your own. And depending on age and stage too, right? Like sometimes teenagers just are not interested in hearing the information from a parent. Absolutely. <laughs> so having somebody else deliver it is a much more effective way of helping them cope. So it kind of just depends on the age and stage of your child. And, you know, as a parent, just remembering that like modeling and doing your own healthy habits and having children seeing that is so important. Just like your basic mental health of like eating and sleeping and exercising and being outdoors and just doing all the basic foundation work, they're watching you. So Lead by example. Exactly. Like if you're doing those things, they're watching you. If you're doing like, you know, just watching TV for 10 hours on a Saturday, they're watching you. If then it pisses you off that that's what they're doing the next day, it's like, well, we've got to show them what good mental health could look like. And we're not always going to do it perfectly. And there's going to be days where we can't do that or weeks or months, depending on what's going on for us. But being that foundation is so important. Absolutely. I love that. And it's so true. They learn by watching a lot more than we realize, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being here today and sharing all of this amazing information. I know that I learned so much and I am excited for our listeners to listen in and learn a lot too. Yeah. So, thank you for thank having you, me. Thank you. Yeah. So everyone knows where to find you. Do you have any socials that you want to share? Yeah, I think the only the main social that I'm on is Instagram. So Alexis Gleason is what I use mostly. So amazing. Yeah. Thank you. And I will link as many of those resources that Jenna shared today in the show notes. But thank you, Jenna, so much for being here. And thank you everyone for listening to the Mom Sweat Sanity podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it. See you next week. You can find me on Instagram at MomSweatSanity.